Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. She said that the police are here and, and she's in a, she's in an ambulance on the way to the children's hospital and you really need to get there quickly. Hey, Carling. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> Except we're recording on Sunday. Yeah. We are. Today's a crappy Sunday. Mm-hmm. Crappy day to you. I just... <laughs> so it is Father's Day today. And this is just one I want, of... I want us to play that, you know, on wheel, on Prices Right When They Lose. And it's like... Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll try and find it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, today's a hard day for um, a lot of people, mm-hmm. and especially widows with children. Yeah. It's a crappy day, for sure. Yeah. This is the second Father's Day for you since Anthony passed. It might be the third. It's the third. Is it the third already? Yeah. So really, I should just be over it by I now, mean, honestly. okay. This changes everything. <laughs> Buck up. This is getting ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's hard, and your kiddos feel it, and I, you know, like, in school, I know that they do yeah. crafts and activities, and... Yeah, my one daughter ripped up her craft. Who did? Kate? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah, it's sad. It's shitty. Yeah. And I obviously never plan the day to be like, we're gonna be in a bad mood all day, but, like, yeah, it's like a dark cloud that comes over, and everyone is affected... My anxiety since I woke up this morning has been through the roof. Yeah. I now, like, can barely talk because I was, like, choking on my own saliva because I'm an (laughs) idiot. And it's just, like, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want, there's, like, a pressure to sort of make the day feel like something. But what is that? It's hard to say. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sorry, friend. Thank you. But I appreciate well, you being here and trying to like. Yeah, I fed everybody. I appreciate that. Made everybody clean. Yeah. We made s'mores. Mm-hmm. We did. We made that some s'mores. Fun. They were good. Mm-hmm. So, other than today, uh-huh. how was your week? I think it was good. I never remember. And I, I say know. that every time. Like maybe you should start journaling. <laughs> maybe I should write it down <laughs> for the purposes of the podcast. <laughs> the people want to know. Yeah, you worked. I worked. Uh, I had two days off. I got some stuff done. In case people are tracking from our last week's episode, you've taken your thyroid medicine every day except for two days. Except for two days. And I totally noticed the difference. Yeah. I was exhausted. Yeah. But. So maybe. Back don't. on track. It like makes such a difference in my energy levels. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For you sure. need it. I do. Wow. How about you? How was your week? 
Um, it was okay. Uh, this is the last week that I'm on reduced hours and my work's been very busy. Mm -hmm. So it'll be nice this upcoming week to have full-time hours again. Everything's opening back up. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. It's I don't too feel soon. good about it. I no. honestly don't. They're, I'm like, I'm I, good. Yeah, I think they're just opening because they want to celebrate Canada Day, which I have problems with, and Stampede, Stampede which I also have problems with. <laughs> yeah. And then I think people are just going to be reckless. Yeah. And... There's going to be another fourth wave is my fear. It's going to be like fourth wave COVID plus stampede babies. Yeah. Like bad, bad. Yeah. There's going to be a whole generation <laughs> of COVID stampede babies. <laughs> For those of you not from Calgary, stampede is the greatest outshore door. Outshore, what? Outshore door on earth. <laughs> it is the greatest outdoor show on earth. Is it's it? where all of Calgary becomes a mini Texas. Ugh. There's a lot of hooting and hollering. Everyone loses their Lots damn minds. Lots of square dancing. And literally everything, like, nobody works no, for no. over a week. You wear denim all the time. <sighs> cowboy, cowboy hats, cowboy, cowboy boots, boots. Pancake breakfasts. Everywhere. Breakfasts. 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 Yeah, Anywhere. I hate it. I used to work for a catering company, and we had to do the pancake breakfast, and yeah. they were always bananas. Yeah. The people... And then some of them had booze at like mm -hmm. 10 a.m. Oh, like, yeah. What the? There are no rules when it comes there to There are stampede. no rules. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I think it's okay. I found out that one of mine and Lindy's cats has cancer. I know. That's and so, so that's sad. been really tough. He's 10. And he, like, Lindy kept the cats, but I still, I've lived with him for eight years. And, yeah. you know, he only has like a few weeks, they think. Poor guy. There's, yeah, there's not really like a realistic treatment option for him. That's really sad. So it's been <clears throat> it's been sad. This will be out of our ten animals. This will be the first one. Wow. To go and like I know it's inevitable, but yeah, it's, it's still, still really hard. It's hard. We are a bucket of damn sunshine. Today. I know this is. But you great. know what? It's an, it's fitting with our episode because our episode is really tough today. Yeah. Well, so let's get into it. All right. Bye. Bye. Good morning, Shelby and Jen. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. How are you guys? So far, so good on this kind of sunny morning. I'm hoping the sun comes out. Yeah, it doesn't know what it's doing. It's sort of raining and then sunny. It's very confused. <laughs> yeah. I would say the same over here. Yeah, because yeah, you guys are both in Calgary, right? That is yeah, right. Just yeah, just parts of Calgary. Nice. Yeah. Um, that's great. We've we usually, I guess, we've had a little string of interviewing people locally, yeah. but usually we interview people from all over the world. So we're just like, what's it like where you are? But I'm always like, well, we know because we're right here. So, uh, well, we're super stoked to talk to you guys. Uh, we've been following Jen, your story, um, for a while. And then Jen and Shelby, you guys sort of joined forces and created, um, an organization and sort of, I don't know, I feel like a force to be reckoned with is what I feel like. I think we should just dive right in. And Jen, we're going to be telling Mackenzie's story today, which is your daughter. And then we're going to sort of tie in how Shelby got involved and sort of the work that you guys are doing collectively. So I think, Shelby, can you maybe introduce yourself and just talk a little bit about like who you are, what you do, um, and then we'll kind of tie them together at the end and how you guys came to form Mackenzie's legacy. 
Absolutely. Uh, so obviously I'm Shelby. We've already been quasi-introduced, but uh, we're in the mom to four boys. Uh, we are a blended four, so two of them came to me a little bit later in life, uh, which has been wonderful. And then we have one of our own and had one from before as well, just to make it extra confusing <laughs> for everyone. Um, I have been a police officer in Calgary for the last 13 years, and I have spent the last three years almost now in the domestic violence unit. Um, previously, I worked mostly in organized crime, so this was a big change for me and certainly very eye-opening for a different type of crime than what I was used to. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think what else you need to know about me. That you're Shelby, awesome. I feel like, well, yeah, you are awesome. I feel like we should have you on an episode with me to talk about your work in domestic violence, because that's unfortunately my experience with the criminal and legal system is through the domestic violence piece of it. I would be more than happy to come on because for me, you know, working in organized crime, I think one of the biggest things was generally it's not such a victim-based crime, whereas going to domestic violence was a full 180 for me and learning kind of that by the criminal justice system was huge and sort of what victims go through in our criminal justice system was very eye-opening for me. So Jen, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, tell us a little bit about you and your family. Sounds great. So so uh, I'm Jen, my husband, uh, Dan. We've been together now since, universe, since the university days. Um, so, you know, lots of Lots of different things have happened over the 20 years that uh, since we've met some, you know, amazing things, some not so amazing things, quite frankly, when you go through, um, you know, lo- losing a child and, and losing the child in, in the circumstances that we did. Um, I won't say especially because there's no good way to lose a child. Don't, yeah. know, don't get me wrong. Um, but just some of the some of the stressors that going through the, the criminal justice system. Um, puts on us, but we are here. We are surviving every day. Um, lucky to have each other because when you do go through something like this, I mean, really, at the end of the day, he and I are the only two that really know what we are, what we've experienced. And and that's not even to say our our experiences are the same. They're they're quite different, but it's still rooted in commonality, which is so nice to have that support system yeah. in place. Um, we have three kids in total. We were um, blessed with our with our first born Mackenzie Jane Wolf Smith um, in in 2010, um, and as every I'm sure every couple with their first, especially with their first child, and you know a little girl, a little daddy's girl, she was safe to say our entire universe, mm-hmm. the the stars and the moon, basically were were wrapped up inside her little body. Aww. So Aww. we were we we honestly we had 22 months with her and. I can look back and I can say with with a hundred percent certainty that we cherished every second of those twenty two months. She was just such an easy baby. She she just went with the flow. She just let us enjoy her. And I don't know. Sometimes I think back and and wonder if she knew maybe she wasn't going to be with us for a, a lot of time. Uh, so the quality of the time was, you know was just so important and and she gave that to us I can say without hesitation she gave us every second of of those 22 months just being you know a bit blissful Aww, to be honest wow, that's so special um, 
And did you have, how old are your other kids? So our, our two boys who are equally amazing, don't get me wrong, they are equally amazing, um, but they're two boys. So a little bit of a different situation in the younger days. Yeah. So our yeah. uh, we have an eight-year-old and a, and a four-year-old now. And so our eight-year-old was was actually born 10 months to the day from, from Mackenzie's passing. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So really almost immediately after after we lost Mackenzie, uh, our, our son Owen was born. Um, and really, I mean, you know, we talked about life and death and, and support systems uh, a little bit earlier on. But I mean, as soon as I knew that he was he was coming, that was a whole different reason to to keep going mm-hmm. as well. So I, I, I mean, he he changed our, our view of the world in those early days so drastically and and who knows what life would have looked like without his little his little present showing up yeah um when when he did and then we have a, a four-year-old as well Declan um who who came you know sort of after a series of of miscarriages mm-hmm. and you know right at the I was 39 years old when he was born so you know that was kind of the last <laughs> The last kick of the can, if you will, and <laughs> we've been we've been blessed to have those two. Um, now, not just I mean, they are rambunctious as all get out. So you <laughs> yeah. know that blissful experience is a little bit different, but um, they they certainly keep laughter and enjoy in the house. Aww. Oh, that's really nice. My sister has three boys and a daughter, but she had the daughter first, and then three boys, and they're <laughs> yeah. That is a like there's. Yeah, they're they're so cute and they're so fun, but like I'm so tired <laughs> exactly. when I. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, when they're when you have to like play a game. I used to like make up a game of let's see who can draw mummy while I'm napping. <laughs> <laughs> my god that's, that's brilliant so smart. it's funny because I have um three girls and two boys and my boys are, I would say not typical boys. They're not. They don't rough house and they don't. My girls I find are so much crazier than my my boys (laughs) my boys are just like chill and I don't know easygoing and it's just funny but I think they got their dad's personality and the girls got mine so (laughs) well it just goes to show that you know stereotypes don't always exactly exactly yeah (laughs) so yeah so that so that's that's us that's our our crew and um you know, even even the boys is you know they they know Mackenzie, mm-hmm. they know all about her. They they talk to her. My four year old will, you know, go over and and get her urn, which sits you know in the middle of our home, and and give her kisses. And we talk about her all the time. Wow. wow. Well, why don't we? I would just love to hear Mackenzie's story in your own words, and we'll just interject with questions as as you tell the story, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, so like I said, she was uh, she was basically the the apple of our eyes, or whatever other cliche you could you could use. Um, she was born in Pittsburgh. Actually, we lived down in Pittsburgh when she was born, and we we moved back to Canada when she was just three months old. Oh. Um, and and so my maternity leave was actually down in the U.S., which is as you guys probably know is about 12 seconds long (sighs) down there. So um, by the time we arrived back, you know, Canada side, uh, she was three months old and I had to immediately go back to work. Wow. Um, So my husband, Dan, Dan actually took six months off. He took paternity leave when we got back um, and he stayed home with her, which, you know, was such an amazing, that wasn't typical at the time to be perfectly Mm -hmm. honest with you. And, and, 
you know, he's so grateful for that time that he got to spend with her, um, especially in, in light of everything that happened afterward. But so Dan stayed home with her. Um, you know, I, I was back at work for about six months, but eventually Dan had to, you know, become an adult again, go back to adulting and, and, and get back to, to his career. And so we started looking for, for daycare for, for, you know, where Mackenzie would spend her days while we were both working. And we, neither of us are from Calgary originally. We're, we're from Nova Scotia, uh, originally. So no family, you know, whatever in the city. So really had to rely on, on daycare or day home. And we very quickly realized that there was no daycare that we could get into in Calgary in, in 2010, that would, you know, take a nine month old baby girl with no waiting list. Oh yeah. Know, which it was crazy back then. I mean, that was the, the kind of the peak. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we very quickly shifted our, our attentions to finding a day home for her. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, at the time, I really loved the idea of a day home because if she wasn't going to be home with me, um, in my mind, that was the, the next best thing. I wanted her to be sort of in that environment of, you know, if she needed three naps in a day versus two, she could yeah. have them. If, you know, if she was teething and didn't feel good she could stay in her pajamas you know yeah a little bit more flexibility yeah exactly so she started we we interviewed tons of um tons of different day home providers and uh, finally settled on one um which we were we felt really great about she was a, a a young mom herself had a had a son that was just a year older than Mackenzie you know, was really looking for a way to support her son with, with her day home, but also because her, her son was an only child, um, really wanted that sort of social interaction for her son as well. So this sort of seemed like a, a, a great opportunity all around. Her son would have other little ones in the day to play with and, and she could support him financially. So mm-hmm. we started with her um, in, in 20, early 2011. And everything was going fine. Um, everything was going great, actually. We were so grateful for her and, and you know, the care that she gave Mackenzie and, and you know, just having someone in our court of, of helping um, take care of, of Mackenzie when, while we were at our jobs in the day. Yeah. There's such a difference when you think of, like, home, day home, like you're saying, and a, and a daycare where it's, I think a lot of people's minds at daycare is like there's kids everywhere. There's not enough people to to watch them. Um, it's very structured. And then, I mean, we've experienced both as well with with my kids. And a day home, like you're saying, is a little bit more like maybe one on one or one on a few kids and flexibility of napping and and that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to kind of think about the difference of them both. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, it's important to, there's, there's no perfect answer, right? I mean, kids and families are so different and, you know, one kid might, might thrive in the daycare um, environment or one family, it might work perfectly for one family and it might be exactly the opposite of what a different family or a different child needs. Right. I think that's why it's so important to have those different options. Mm -hmm. And did you have um, like references and things like that for um, that, the stay home person and, and she had been in operation for a while or? 
Yeah, we absolutely did. I mean, we did we did the the yeah. checks, the, you know, the police checks and all that kind of stuff, and checked references. She she was just starting her day home, or had just started her day home not too far, um, not too long prior to that, but but had worked as a mm. nanny um, before that. So we talked to you know the the family that she had nannied for. She had nannied for you know them for for quite a while and they had twins um so she actually had her own young son as well as nannying for, oh, for wow. twins and i thought man if she can do that she can do anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and i think often it's really common i've noticed that when somebody has a baby instead of going back to work one realistic option is to start a day home because then you can be home with your kid and just look after a couple of extra kids it's a lot a thing I think a lot of people do oh, or yeah. attempt to do. So it's so interesting that yeah, you found somebody who was doing that but came with so much experience and sort of that industry anyway. Yeah. Well and and really, I mean we we interviewed quite a few different day homes and and again, there's just so many different styles of of day homes and and environments and and the providers themselves and when what we really loved is you know, she was the only one. We, we brought Mackenzie along. She was in her little bucket seat. She, you know, still eight, eight and a half months old-ish. And um, she was the only one that said, can I hold her? Oh. And oh, we were like, well, hey, wait, we just realized nobody else asked that. Like, wait, we should have said, hey, I want to see how you interact with, yeah. with her before I leave her in your care, right? Um, and just other things like, you know, open door policy at any time. She's, we, you know, we said, can we, can we drop by any time? Mm-hmm. And a lot of others said no. And we were like, wait, wait, oh, interesting. What do you mean, no? Like, you've got our child in your house. I feel like I should come. I should be allowed Absolutely. to come anytime. Yeah. Um, and they would, you know, say it's disruptive to routines, and all, which I yeah. totally get. But at the same time, you know, she was absolutely she's the only thing she asked is instead of ringing a doorbell to text her that we're outside just in case the babies were were napping and the, do- the right. dog barked. Right. So. It was it was those things, you know, the it was the culmination of everything that made us feel really comfortable leaving, you know, our the most precious thing in our life in the care of this other person for so many hours yeah. a day, right? Yeah. So what was so did she start right away? Start going right away? She did, yeah. So she started there uh, I believe it was February of twenty eleven. So okay. we had a good 14 months with Mackenzie in her care. And, and so, I mean, not to say that every day was, you know, perfect. And as every mom and parents, especially I think first time parents, you sort of say, Hey, Oh, is this the right choice? Should they be in a daycare with multiple adults? Mm -hmm. You know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, really those were moments of, of doubt within months of watching Mackenzie thrive in that environment and being happy, you know, we, we, we drop her off. And as soon as she was able to walk, she'd run up to the door and she'd give kisses at the end of the day. And, you know, this wasn't this, you know, Mackenzie never gave us any indication that she didn't feel 100% comfortable in her presence. It would be a different story if she's crying every time you drop her off and she's, you know, or showing signs at home that she doesn't want to go and things like that, then you would, probably really rethink the whole situation. That's right. Exactly. And that's what's so hard when kids don't have the vocabulary and the language to articulate their experiences. Yeah. You have to trust those 
more subtle cues that everything's okay yeah. or not. Exactly. Exactly. Which it, which is so, I mean, it's terrifying mm-hmm. as, yeah. as parents, right. To, to trust your gut. You really have to, at the end of the day, try and do your homework and, and, and be diligent and, and be watchful, but then you really have to sort of trust, trust your gut yeah. that they're in a good place. So, yeah. And we believed that she was and until May 2nd at around noon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was at work, I was in a, in a meeting and my phone rang and it was her. Um, and it wasn't uncommon for her to call me in the day. Like this wasn't a like, Ooh, whatever, you know, something's wrong. Yeah. She would call, you know, Mackenzie's teething. Is it okay if I give her some Advil or, you know, she didn't eat. Is there anything that I can offer her? Like she was constantly, we were text, we would text all day long of, Oh, this is what she's doing. Here's a cute picture. So it was really not uncommon for her to, to call me. Mm-hmm. And so I looked down and I was in this meeting and I, my, my first instinct was, Oh, I'll call her back when I'm done. And I don't know why, but something said, answer it, answer it. And so I, I barely, you know, I answered it almost just barely in time mm-hmm. before it went to voicemail. And uh, she just said, you, Mackenzie fell, you have to go to the hospital. Oh, God. And I honestly didn't understand. Like, what, what do you mean? She fell. Like, she falls all the time. Yeah. She's a 22-month-old, right? Like, yeah. what, what are you talking about? Yeah. And uh, she said that the police are here. Oh, my God. And And she's in a... She's in an ambulance on the way to the children's hospital, and you really need to get there quickly. <sighs> and how far were you from the hospital? Like, I mean, I don't even know how you comprehend a phone call like that and then the ability to move after that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I honestly, I wasn't far. I was at my office downtown. Okay. Um, and, and so my husband wasn't, Dan was way down South and he was just getting into his car. I, so I called him and just said, you know, she called Mackenzie's in an ambulance. We got to go. Yeah. And he was like, what are you talking about? Um, he was, he was luckily just getting into his car to, to go to a meeting. So he was able to just, you know, drive himself. I, I did not drive myself to the okay. hospital. Somebody, you know, one of my co- colleagues at work drove me and I actually arrived at the hospital before Mackenzie did. Oh, wow. So I... And I, did she go to the children's hospital, sorry? She did, yes. Yeah. yeah they took her to the to the children's hospital. Um, what I didn't know, even while I was on my way, I didn't know until Mackenzie arrived, but her heart had actually stopped oh. at, at her day home. And so when the paramedics arrived, they, they revived her. And so they were going straight to the children's um they they called it a load and go oh god <laughs> uh, during during the uh some of the the court proceedings but basically their their only their only thing they were worried about was getting her to a hospital as, as quickly as possible and getting her to the to the right hospital which was of course the children's yeah. um which is an amazing facility i mean mm-hmm. i i will plug the children's hospital as many times as I possibly can, because I'm so grateful for, for that building and all of the angels that work inside of it. Yeah. And so was your husband close behind? He arrived probably about 10 minutes after I did. And so it was, it was a bit of a, a bit of a blur, but I came in the front door of, of the emergency room and honestly couldn't even articulate 
there was a bit of a, of a lineup and I just walked in and said, my daughter, ambulance, my daughter. Oh God. And I think the girl understood. They knew that she was en route and a social yeah. worker came out the door and came through the doors and met me and took me to a room. And you don't ever want a social worker to meet you at the doors and take you to a room. No. I just, I mean, that nightmare of you're going about your day as normal. And then all of a sudden, it's the worst day of your life. Yeah. And, and, and just the second, I mean, I still, it's been nine years and I still watch the clock every May 2nd and think this is the before and now we're in the after. Like just that that one minute can change your life so drastically, hey? Yeah. Oh my gosh. What was so you go into the room with the social worker and what happens? So um so so I I was in there and it, it was actually a it's it's a room that attaches the trauma bay, attached to the trauma bay. So okay. shortly after when I was in there, um the Mackenzie arrived. And with her arrival, there was just activity. There was so many people there just waiting for her to arrive so that they could figure out what was going on and, and, and try to try to fix her little body. Right. I mean, that, that's, it was the, it was insane. Um, But everybody there was singularly focused on what is going on, what is wrong, how do we fix it? And so really my job at that point was trying to stay out of their way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and then shortly after, uh, a police officer walked in, into the room with me who had who had gone into, who had, had traveled in the air uh, ambulance with her. And I remember this part so clearly, but he walked in and said, she came in with a heartbeat. <sighs> and I looked at him like he was the most ridiculous person in the world. Yeah, like, of course she and, did. Like, what do you, I mean, I had no clue yeah. at this point, right? That her heart had ever yeah. stopped. And I was like, what do you, like, that's like telling me the sky is blue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but he, I mean, he clearly didn't know that I didn't have all of the information yeah. and nor would he, you know, things are just in chaos at that time. And, and. Because and, what information did you have? Besides that she had just fallen. She had fallen. And then you go into this room with a social worker and what information do you have? nothing that I, I, I asked one question of, of her day home provider before I hung up the phone. Um, I said, did she lose consciousness? And she said, yes. And I I, honestly, I don't know if I couldn't bear to hear more at that time. I mean, was I being selfish and sort of closed down? I don't know. But when she said that I hung up the phone and, and, and got to the hospital. So I really didn't have a lot of information. Um, and everybody there, rightfully so, were focused on Mackenzie yeah. and yeah, and and doing everything they could to to save her little body. Yeah. Oh man. So then, not too long after that, Dan arrived, um, and really the tests started. It just it was it was you know they stabilized her in in the uh, emergency uh, room. Uh, after probably, I don't know, it may have been an hour, it may have been seven days, it may have been 30 <sighs> seconds, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and we moved over to the PICU, um, where they started, you know, really running the the tests in, in earnest to, to try and figure out because to look at her, like she had no trauma. That was she had no outward sign of injury. Wow. She just looked right. like she was sleeping, but, but not waking up and they couldn't figure out why. 
So after uh, probably about 12 hours of, of tests, you know, MRI, they did CAT scan and MRI and, you know, they were so gracious in, in trying to give us updates along the way, but really they didn't know anything. Um, so they had to balance that, trying to, to prepare us for the worst, but not having anything concrete to, to, to tell us. Um, really, it was about midnight that night where they had to confirm that they're, they, all signs were, were leading to brain death and, and really, you know, if, if she survived, what they, they said to us is if she survived and the chances of her surviving were very, very low. If she survived, she would be paralyzed from the neck down. Oh my she had God. a, you know, C, C2 vertical, uh, um, spinal injury. And so she would never, she would never breathe again on her own. She would never be able to feed herself. She would never do any of those things if, if she survived. My God. And in this 12 hours, do you hear from the day home provider or do you call family? Like, I don't even know how you survived those 12 hours of yeah. just waiting. Yeah. Luckily, I mean, Dan, Dan had to make some of those phone calls. Um, the social worker was so helpful. You know, she got the first couple of, of people, the the notifications out to the first couple of people, but you know, at the time, our parent, like my parents and, and Dan's father were back in Nova Scotia and oh. Dan had to make those phone calls to, to my parents and to his dad to say, this is what's, this is what's happened. Uh, I couldn't do it. No. I couldn't yeah. do it. But, but at the same time in those 12 hours, and you know, this is where some of Shelby's, Shelby probably has better line of sight to what would have got, been going on on the other side, because we didn't hear from the, the day home provider, um, but there was, you know, she had police officers with her the whole time and we were being interviewed at the, at the hospital because, you know, the, the, the police rightfully so couldn't make any assumptions Yeah. in the beginning. Right. They were interviewing us, right? Like to, to see if we had, I don't know, done anything. I, I don't right. know. I can't imagine how confusing that would be to be told that she fell and then you're being questioned and then seeing her, you know, she looks like you said, she looks perfect. And then hearing all this information about what's really, you know, what's really happened to her body is just, uh, I can't imagine. Well, in your brain, I think your brain doesn't let yeah. you understand it, right? So the, I, I certainly, I did not, it, it was not absorbing. There was a lot and, and I you know, even my girlfriends, Catherine and, and, and some of my other girlfriends said when they first arrived at the hospital, the social worker said to them, you know, I think Dan is understanding what's going on. Jen is not. Right. I mean, how can you? You know, yeah. I, I've unfortunately experienced loss. My husband passed away. And like you said, in those moments, those, those days, those hours, it's, your your brain is trying to protect you from the truth and everything nothing makes sense exactly and and even if it did you don't want it to make sense exactly <laughs> exactly yeah yeah absolutely um shelby i have a question from a like law enforcement standpoint have and i maybe you don't have like a specific experience about this but i just wonder what it's like to question like parents for example when you sort of have to remain neutral and you have to, but you also have to assume that maybe they 
maybe you don't have to remain neutral, I guess is my question, because you sort of have to figure out what went on. What's that experience like? It's incredibly difficult, you know, in a situation, obviously I wasn't involved in Mackenzie's, but I have had situations where you have to have those conversations. And, you know, at that point, you're forming some idea of what you think may have happened, but you do have to keep that open mind that anything is possible because you can't overlook something that could be crucial down the road. You know, these cases where obviously Jen and Dan weren't present when Mackenzie was hurt, it would certainly change how you question them but there could be something tiny they say at that point in time that is crucial. Um, it's got rent, you know, being a parent and an officer because absolutely right, you, you begin to fathom the level of trauma that they're going through at that point. And, you know, when you're questioning people Oops, in that state, yeah. it does, it guts you because the last thing you want to be doing is making that trauma worse for someone. You have that duty to potentially preserve this investigation down the yeah, road. Right. Yeah. So it's trying to balance, you know, being sensitive to that, what's going on in the situation, but also saying, okay, I've got to look at a year from now, what's trial going to look like if I don't do this? So there's lots of days where, you know, I go home at the end of the day and, you know, I've had days where I need to put myself in my room before I can even deal with my own kids to be like, I need five minutes to disconnect from what I just do before I can step back into this other role that I play of being a mom. It's got to be so challenging to step into people's trauma and be part of it in any capacity and then remove yourself and just go home without it. Like that's got to be so hard. Yeah, I think it really is. And, you know, I have, I think most police officers do, but I could speak for myself that I certainly have a darker sense of humor, which I think we, we used to cope with it. And I kind of joke that trauma box in my brain and I just put all the really bad things in there and 30 years from now I'm probably going to need to do a lot more therapy than I yeah. currently do <laughs> I have to be able to separate those two things yeah yeah and I don't think that we uh really think about that enough like the the first responders and the um police they're seeing so much and they're experiencing you know this person's worst day and their worst trauma but they have to separate themselves because like you said you have a job to do and you need to make sure that you're um you're you're gathering the right information because it's incredibly important down the road and then to be able to like you said separate yourself from that when you get home it's unfathomable like e- even you know someone who does like Catherine who does 911 um and things like that the the things that you hear and the things that you see it's it's amazing. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because, you know, we always say no one calls the police when you're having a good day. Yeah. Right? We're, no. When everything's falling apart, that's who you're going to call. And I think for me, I know after 13 years of doing this job, I'm much better at separating it than I probably was at the three-year mark. Mm-hmm. I think some of that comes with experience. Yeah. Or maybe you just develop a thicker skin over those years, but yeah. it is a really good yeah. skill that you have to get. And Shelby, can you maybe talk wow. a little bit about, because obviously like Jen's focus at the hospital was like being interviewed by police and and communicating with the doctors and family and all of that. But what would be happening on the other end of things? So we don't yet know what happened, what went wrong, but there's obviously we knew that police were there. So what would have been happening at the day home while Mackenzie was at the hospital? It would be, you know, from the police standpoint, that's kind of an all hands on deck. 
anytime it's something involving a child where there's that possibility that this child may not be able to tell you what happened, capturing that initial information, you know, from the provider, even what the scene looks like, you know, is there any obvious signs that something happened? Those are things that we would always be looking for. Another thing would be that police would be sitting at that house until we kind of figured out, have we captured all the evidence? Is there anything we're missing? So you'd have a police car likely parked out front and depending on the house in the back as well. It really is a time where multiple units of the service are coming together to make sure we do not miss anything on something like that. And so it's not like the day home provider isn't like arrested right away and assumed guilty because it's innocent until proven guilty. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know specifically um, how the arrest went down on Mackenzie's file, but it would be having that conversation. But at that point, you are kind of viewing people as a suspect and witness. So it's balancing not only their rights as potentially a suspect, their charter rights. And like I was saying, with trial, you have to, it's a really delicate balance. Uh, If there was any children old enough in the home, they would probably be spoken to down the road. Because you have to remember all those other kids parents are likely Mm -hmm. getting phone calls as well. You have what Jen and Dan are going through and then all these other parents who are likely going to have a million questions as well and that panic about their children if anyone else was harmed. It really just becomes this, it explodes for lack of a better word of all the people that become involved. And I, Jen, I can't remember if you said how many kids were at the day home. Are you able to say like on that day? On that day, there was only, there was three. Um, including including, hers? including Mackenzie and hers, yeah. So one other one other child, oh, okay. and and oh. you know the the other child that was in in the the home um, is is the child of a of a member as well the, of of a police officer, and the mom actually worked with Brent at at the time. Like the universe is just so crazy. So um, she actually got she actually saw the the report come in. And realized it was the day home where her own child was. Wow. Was it obvious immediately that it wasn't an accident? Like, what did she relay to 911 to make it so that police were showing up and she was being questioned? I, my, my understanding is that it, when, a, when a child is in distress, it's just standard for police to show up. Um, and And then I think... You know, it, it really was when we were at the hospital. So, you know, they brought a, a child abuse um, specialist in to, to, to look at Mackenzie and to speak to us. So, you know, we not only spoke to the to the police, but this you know specialist um, physician who, who unfortunately has has this job to, to look at kids injuries and, and see whether they're you know consistent with the story is is what I um, understand it to be. So they they really just told us probably about 10 o'clock at night before they really came to the conclusion that, that they believe she was brain dead already, but um, that the injuries were not consistent with the story. And, and the story they had received from the day home provider was she had, she had fallen down three carpeted stairs. Oh, <clears throat> So to, to fall down three carpeted stairs and, and, and have her heart stop. Oh um, God. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. Yeah. Watching like Michelle's kids navigate the world like and you see kids fall down. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to imagine falling down three stairs would would what do that. that would do. Yeah. And and so, I mean, in those early days, they were looking for anything that would maybe I mean, they were asking us, you know, did she have any pre-existing health conditions? Did Was there some underlying, you know, thing going on in her body that we didn't know that could have 
you know, ended up in, in this result. And that's, I think they were just trying to go through the process of elimination to see, is there any other, yeah. anything else that could possibly explain the devastating injuries and, and, you know, what, what was going on in her body other than intentional harm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And is that maybe Shelby, you probably can answer this. Is that like, so somebody says, this is what happened. This kid fell down three stairs. Is it the police's job to, to look for evidence that supports that or contradicts, contradicts it? It's both. Um, I think it's, and it involves a child, like, yeah. you will do every medical test possible to rule out that trauma inflicted upon them was the case. You're going to, you know, pending right. the child's injuries, it could be blood tests to rule out something that causes bruising or other visible signs of injury. So you're always looking to kind of corroborate the version that you've been told, but on the same side, you're looking for anything that doesn't support that version. So it's definitely a double-edged sword. Right, yeah. right. And so, Jen, when you got the news that she was likely brain dead and, you know, the prognosis, can you walk us, I don't even know, like, walk us through what that was like. You're with Dan. Was anybody else with you? Yeah, we had two of our girlfriends, um, and, and I'm, I don't know if, you, if you've heard from Catherine, but we have this amazing support system of uh, nine girls and yes. and we travel together yes. and we go through the good parts of life together we go through the horrible parts parts of life together and we've been mm-hmm. um you know we're just lucky to have this so two two of two of what what we call my girls my my girls were already um <laughs> at the hospital Catherine had actually been working a shift and was sleeping and and oh, it was yeah. you know getting Brent to go to go wake her and and let her know what had happened but uh, two of two of our girlfriends were there, and um, I mean, I I think by the time they told us, I, we knew what was coming. But mm-hmm. very early on, we also knew that if she wasn't going to make it, then we wanted to do everything possible for her to be an organ donor, and so it was oh, it was wow. doing double, you know, tr- the the doctors. Of course, ethically, they cannot even start to think about organ donation until they know, you know, she was their first priority and saving her was, of course, their first priority. Yes. Um, but there was some yeah. sequencing of things that needed to be done because we wanted her to be a donor if she wasn't going to, to survive. So when they told us that evening that they really were quite certain um, this was going to be the outcome and that she wouldn't be coming home with us from the hospital. They also said that if we wanted her to be a, a, an organ donor, that they had to wait till the next day to do the, the definitive tests because of, and I will get it wrong. Um, you know, I apologize to any medical professionals that <laughs> for, for getting it wrong, but um, I, I think there was some, some medication that I gave her when they were, you know, reviving her, when they were restarting her heart, that they needed to allow 24 hours to get out of her system before they could do any of the testing to, to determine, you know, matches and, you know, whether she'd be, she'd be a a viable, you know, donor potential. So really it was, here's what we think. We can't do the test till tomorrow. Just lay down and, and sleep with your girl tonight. Oh God. Uh, So my God, are you just in a room with her at this point? And she's 
you know, hooked up to machines and yeah, she was on life support. I mean, she was on life support from, you know, the whole the time she never regained consciousness. She never, you know, was able to breathe on her own after arriving at the hospital. Um, they had her in a crib in, in the room. And, and when they gave us that news and I'm in my, in my memory, this is about 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night. Um, they, they moved her to a bed so I could crawl in beside her. Um, and, and sleep with her. But at the same time, you know, we had to, she was very unstable, very unstable. And, and they had a neck brace on her. So we had to be very careful because if, if her heart stopped, she wouldn't on her, you know, on its own, um, they won't, will not revive her to be an organ donor. Um, and so we, we had to be careful with her, um, and so I just sort of shimmied up to her as, as close as I could get to her without disturbing the the, the lines and her neck brace and, and stuff. And I, you know, they, they had told us at that point that she was most likely paralyzed from the neck down. So all of my, all of our efforts were to make sure we were touching her head, that we made sure she knew we were there and, you know, putting our, putting my forehead to her forehead was really just. Dan and I just took turns that night doing that, just making, talking to her, yeah. making sure that she knew she wasn't alone and thought we were there. Oh, how devastating. I, oh, I'm so sorry. But I also told her in that time that she was in charge, not me. And, yeah. you know, if she, I, I needed to make sure she knew if she couldn't stay with us that she needed to do what she needed to do for herself. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time that night just talking to her. Wow. That's, that's so difficult. And was it, was it immediate to you that if she could be an organ donor, like, yes, absolutely. Let her be an organ donor. Very much so. And, and in fact, it wasn't even let her be an organ donation donor. It was, you know, again, with the, with some of the criminal stuff going on, the the medical examiner actually in the beginning said she couldn't be a donor because her, her body was evidence. Oh God. And so it was actually back and forth and, you know, the, the doctors, again, the doctors and nurses up at, at the children's, you know, they, they knew how important that would be for us, for her to, to do that. And I don't know why it was so important to us, but it remains just so important to us that she could, she could make sure that other families didn't have to go through what we were living in that hospital room that day. Absolutely. The the medical examiner finally agreed that, you know, they, her eyes, they, a lot of the, the evidence of trauma, as I understand it was, was in, in her eyes. That's the the evidence of shaking at the end of the day. Um, And so they finally agreed that everything she, she could, she could donate anything that she could other than her eyes. Oh my God. Wow. And so at what point, when did things shift from like she was on life support and then when was it known that um she wasn't going to make it and she was going to be an organ donor yeah it's so we spent three days in the PICU and it's you know I I've shared this with Shelby that even you know it's it's it feels like three days of really an uncertain death I mean I don't really know what 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 the true anniversary of her death is because she she arrived in the PICU on the on May 2nd um 
they did the, the test to determine brain death on the third. So about in that afternoon, um, they, they, they did the test and, and did declare her, uh, did declare her death. And by that time, luckily, you know, our family from out east had been able to fly in. Um, they, of course, got on planes. Every, so many people got on planes and, and just not knowing what they were going to find at the other end, but, but arrived in time for that to happen. <clears throat> and then the process of organ donation starts. And, and so we then right. got the donor coordinator and we spent another full day, more than another full day in, in the PICU with her as tests were being run and matches were being made. And then ultimately letting the, the surgical teams all get there, get to Calgary. They had to fly in from wherever they were coming and, and make sure that the, the donor or the recipients were all ready to, to receive her organs when they, when they got to them. Wow. Oh Do you gosh. know how many recipients ended up being able, like were there? Yeah, she, it was four. So she donated her heart, her, her liver and, and each of her kidneys. So she had four recipients. Wow, oh my gosh. that's incredible. Oh, it's insane. And you know, excuse me, I do I do some some volunteer work with organ donation as well. And that's one of the things I always say. People just don't have an appreciation of what goes into making sure that those those precious organs arrive to the recipients, right? Like and Mackenzie yeah. was really unstable the entire time. Um and so there was multiple races against the clock. And I remember our, 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 the, the donor coordinator saying to us, you know, middle of the night in our kind of, you know, bleary eyed on day three of, of all of this. Um, she said, this is the only part of Grey's Anatomy that's real. And I just busted <laughs> yeah, out yeah. laughing. I'm like, this, this seems so ridiculous. Like, how are we talking about Grey's Anatomy right now? But um, yeah, yeah, but it I'm really kidding. is. I wonder like even we interviewed our friend Jana, who was a recipient of a cornea transplant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she talks a lot about there's sort of this weird feeling of you're so grateful to receive, but you know that it came from a tragedy. Yeah. yeah it's the other person's, you and know, other family's so worst day. A, yeah, yeah. It's somebody's worst day and you're, you're so excited to receive it, but you know that you wouldn't be getting it without yeah. somebody's worst day happening. It's unbelievable. And, and I mean, just you know the some of the some of the things we were hearing relayed from the the coordinator at the time was you know the the recipient of her liver was down to hours you know they didn't know that she would make it hours afterward oh, but gosh. but everything revolves around the heart team because the heart is the one yeah. that you know they that wherever the the surgical team was coming in from and the recipient of of her heart that that dictates the timing and it was almost negotiations between the heart team and the liver team because the liver recipient needed it quicker the heart team couldn't get there in time like it was it was oh, it was crazy and and my understanding is you know when they come into the airport they have they have priority clearance and it's lights and sirens the whole oh, yeah. way like i think one of the another comment one of the doctors made was if Air Force One came in right now, they would be deferred for the for the wow. donation, you know, the organ donation planes that are coming in and escort to the hospital, wow. escort back and and get it get it on its way so that, you know, ultimately four families didn't have to do that, didn't have to go through that time in the hospital yeah. with uh, with saying goodbye. Were the recipients similar ages to Mackenzie? That I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't know definitively. Um 
we've yeah we're we're starting to to take some steps to to see if we can reach out to the families but we've not we haven't done that yet so I like to yeah. keep them in my brain and you know I don't know if they're the same age I don't know if they're whatever but they're somebody's yeah. baby so absolutely they're out there and Aww. and uh that makes me that makes my heart happy yeah, yeah. if she could not come home with us and she could save other other babies like who wouldn't mm-hmm. say yes mm-hmm. to that absolutely yeah. absolutely so and- how you know after i mean you obviously had to say goodbye to her right before the surgery for before the organs were donated how i mean yeah was there sort of a goodbye period where you got to have a definitive time there was yeah and there were so many amazing things I mean I feel like we could talk for I could we could talk for days around all of the amazing things that happened on that last day in the hospital with her but um one that I I I always you know call out is is the and I always say this word wrong but the anesthetist (laughs) oh yeah yeah in 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 the room with her came down to introduce ourselves to introduce herself to us and 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 to Mackenzie she asked us to introduce Mackenzie to her and they asked us what music they wanted played in you know kind of music we wanted to be playing in the OR if there was anything you know we wanted her blanket to be kept with her we wanted her stuffy to be close by you know some of her her favorite things um and then she brought her entire team down to introduce them to us and 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 to Mackenzie, really, they she she made sure that that entire team knew how incredibly precious Mackenzie was. And so, when it was oh time for them to come, we we had about the last forty five minutes with her. And honestly, there was the police were outside the room, and and the you know all of the the nurses really were standing guard at that point. Like nobody is getting in this room. It doesn't matter what happens. Nobody is getting in this room. Um, And Dan and I just laid down with her and we took turns listening to her heart with the stethoscope. We sang to her (sighs) and thanked her for being so amazing and told her how proud we were of her. And then it was time the, the teams had arrived and the OR was ready for her and, and that wonderful, you know, anesthetist came and, and took her, um, and didn't, did, I shouldn't say that she didn't took, she, she lovingly took her and she yeah. told us yeah. that she would be holding her hand when, when we couldn't, and she was going to be right there until the very, very last minute with Mackenzie. So Mackenzie had somebody with her. Oh my and, God, that's just so heartbreaking. And then we had to get, then we got in the car and drove home. Like, how crazy does that seem? Oh God. Yeah, that's what I find so, like, my brain is sort of, like, splitting in two directions because, yeah, like, now you're you're dealing with the death of a child and, you know, Michelle and I talk quite extensively about life after loss and, and all of the things that you don't really think about that you need to do, like plan a funeral, mm-hmm. call and tell people, make arrangements. And there's the the logistics of that. But then you also had, now there's like a criminal investigation mm-hmm. also happening parallel to this. So did they run parallel or I don't know, like, did the police give you some grace time to, to put her to rest or 
what were you balancing both the criminal and the you know after part yeah. simultaneously they, they they did give us some some time <clears throat> um or i should say i i don't remember interacting with the police until after the funeral um now if right. i did honestly i probably wouldn't remember it anyway so um you know as as you well know that time is such a blur it's you know it's it's balancing all the the planning against just being really in a state of shock um and not not digesting any of it but but then very soon after the funeral you know everybody sort of goes back home and 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 normal life resumes for others and and then that's when the when the criminal investigation really started but in our case the investigation was 14 months long they didn't actually charge her wow. until 14 months later it was in in 2013 <sighs> so it was a, a lot of hurry up and wait <laughs> and yeah. was she i i feel like she wouldn't have reached out to you for legal reasons but did she reach out to you did she go to the funeral she did not go to the funeral we we actually did talk to her after though um you know, we had, this seems so crazy now, but it May 2nd was when Mackenzie um, died and we had, you know, paid her for, for the month of May. And so she wanted to know, you know, what did we want to do with, with, with the, you know, the, the fee for May. So we just oh my God. said, you know, donate it to the children's hospital, please. Um, but we, we did talk to her in, in the few days and, and honestly, it's because we couldn't, we could not believe she would have done this on purpose. There was yeah, no right, part yeah. of our beings that believed it was anything but a tragic accident. And quite frankly, I was thinking of her as, as just a, a fellow victim because how much trauma would she have experienced from that as well? Yeah. And did she not come to the funeral because she was not, you're not invited to a funeral, but was she told she couldn't go or did she not go because she, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, to be honest with you, we were very, um, we, we made sure that the, the funeral details were not known by anybody. Um, okay. just with the media attention, it was, I just, I didn't want any media attention at her. I, I wanted it. Yeah. I wanted it to be just us that, that knew her and loved her and, and, mm -hmm. and could have that, that place to go and, and grieve and, and so we we just we hadn't shared the details of the funeral itself with her. Was the media t attention almost immediate, like because of the police investigation and and the organ donation and everything? As far as I understand, uh, I mean, on on the first day, they came to us inside the hospital and said, "Here, um, please sign this paper." And we said, "What is it?" And they said they were already starting to get calls from the media, and and so it was really just the paperwork <gasps> to say do not give any information. Like we, we do not authorize any oh, information um, being given out. So the, you know, the media were outside the, the hospital. And I think, you know, anytime there's a, unfortunately, you know, a, a tragic event with, with a child that, that seems to be the case. And, and so while we were inside the hospital and knew that she wasn't going to make it really, it wasn't until the three days later that media reported she had passed away. How do you navigate that? Do you have somebody that is speaking to the media for you or um, fielding those phone calls or saying, you know, we're not going to speak to you right now? Yeah. And I, I mean, I have to say that uh, any of the media that, that reached out to us, they were very respectful for the most part. There was a couple yeah. that weren't and they would, you know, 
we had one call our brother-in-law and try to convince him he had just talked to us and just wanted some clarifications oh, on a couple of things and you know oh my silly God. things like that but honestly any of the yeah. reputable media they were very very respectful and and it was just a lot of voicemails on answering machines that we just mm-hmm, couldn't right. even respond to it was just if you want to talk here we are um we did yeah. Know, victim services and Calgary police as well fielded a lot of that for us. They, we would give them a statement and they would publish it on our behalf. Yeah, it was right. more the, uh, you know, the comments on, so never, never, ever, ever read comments about yourself on social media is really what no. I'm coming oh, away God. from. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, 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 yeah. I, I read a few and I've, I've shared this with Shelby quite a bit, but read a few that, you know, we, we, basically deserve to to lose our daughter if because we had her in an unlicensed day home and so I just uh I just shut down and and honestly back to you know Catherine and and the girls they they sort of were running point on a lot of that for us yeah yeah absolutely so this 14 months that's going by I mean you're obviously picking up the pieces and you're and you're mourning and you're grieving was there a lot of you know criminal stuff going on that you had to be involved in or were there hearings yeah, yeah what does that look like? What was that look yeah. like? Yeah, in you know, in that 14 months, not a lot, to be honest with you. It was all very behind the scenes. And, you know, I'm sure Shelby can sort of give some insight from from what it looked like in there. But you're right, we, we were mourning, we were picking up the pieces. I was pregnant. Um, so within that, right, within, right. by the time she was charged, we already had, you know, our son had was already here. He was two months old. And mm-hmm. um, and and so really it was more... It, it, it would fits and starts, to be honest with you. We'd go like an agonizing eight weeks without knowing anything because, I mean, obviously any, everything they were doing from an investigation perspective was very confidential um, and they couldn't yeah. even share a lot of it with us, right? They, they tried their best to keep us in the know, but we'd go these long stretches without anything that, you know, just pulling my hair out, trying to, waiting for any piece of information to then you know, here's what, where we are in this stage, you know, this is what we've done. Here's what we're, we're going to do next. So what, when was the switch from, you know, you communicated a bit with the day home provider and you, you know, you refused to believe that it could be anything other than an accident. What was the shift of, oh, was it not until she was officially charged or did, did she eventually confess to what she had done? She, she didn't confess, but she did plead guilty. Um, so, okay. so, you know, that, that, I don't know that that shift actually happened like acutely. I think mm-hmm. we spoke with her in, in some of those early days. And then like, as you know, as you know, you, you, you come, your, your shock starts to wear off and you yeah. just go into that self-preservation. I mean, it wasn't that we weren't talking to her specifically. We weren't talking to anyone at that point. I mean, yeah you know, I, I, you'd wake up in the morning and your goal would be to eat that day. That was it. Yeah. That, that's success, yeah. right? Oh God. By the time that, you know, we sort of came out of that, we weren't going to be talking to her at that point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so can you talk about what ended up happening? Like what happened to Mackenzie? Yeah. So it wasn't really until the fatality inquiry. So, you know, I mean, sort of just fast forwarding through she she was charged with second degree murder in 2013 um we then went into hurry up and wait for the preliminary hearing which didn't 
happen until 2015. Um, so we spent three days in court in the earlier part of 2015. She ended up pleading guilty to manslaughter in November of 2015. Um, that whole time, she really stuck you know, to the story that Mackenzie fell down these three carpeted stairs. And they just, that, that was her, her recollection or that was her story either way. Um, and uh, she had a criminal defense lawyer, obviously. Yeah, yes, she did. Yeah. And did you, and it was the Crown that was um, doing the investigation, right? They were the ones pressing the charges. Did you have to retain legal counsel? No, it was. Yeah, it was a homicide investigation by Calgary police, obviously, and then in, in, in conjunction with, with Crown. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we've never had a lawyer or anything um, like that through, through, the, through the process. Right. Are you comfortable sharing the details of what ended up actually happening? Yeah. To, I mean, to the extent that, that I know them. So, so right, and right. she was, uh, you know, she was sentenced to five and a half years of, in jail in 2016. We then in 2018 participated in a fatality inquiry. Um, and, and Dan and I were, were, um, uh, you know, active participants in the inquiry. And so, that was after, you know, after she had pled guilty and accepted criminal responsibility for her death, although not not sharing how it happened. Um, the the fatality inquiry she had, she she basically was allowed to speak speak freely because there was nothing that, you know, nothing could be used against her um, from, right, from that, right. that that proceeding, and really just wanting to to find out what happened so we could make sure it never happens again to any other family. Yeah. Um, and so through that process, what we what we learned was that Mackenzie did, in fact, fall down the stairs that day, and and she was injured, uh, and and injured, you know, fairly significantly, but not fatally. So, um, mm-hmm. she, the the day home provider said that um, when she fell, she sort of you know started crying, and she scooped her up, <clears throat> and and went to carry her upstairs. And her, her, she, she just kept crying. She kept crying. And, and I think she, she started crying even worse. And, um, she, she got her upstairs and put her on the, on the floor upstairs and her, her breath started becoming ragged and the dog was barking and the other kids were crying and everything was happening so fast. And she, uh, she panicked and she shook her. And I don't know that she shook her. She didn't, I, I don't believe she shook her to injure her. She shook her because she just snapped in that moment yeah. in a panic and not knowing what to do. Oh, and she uh, lost consciousness after that and, uh, and her heart stopped. And how hard do you have to shake? Like it's not a newborn baby. Like she was, you know, she was almost, almost two. two. Yeah. So to shake, you would have had to shake. Am I wrong to say you'd have to shake a human quite hard that size to cause that kind of damage? Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, I don't know for sure, but yeah. But I think, I mean, one of the one of the homicide detectives used the used the phrase of "she snapped her crayon." Um, I think oh she just. God. She panicked. She didn't know, and she 
I, I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. She panicked. So yeah. you're not, yeah. you're not cognizant of what you're doing in that state. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I feel like we've all been in a situation where kids are crying and, and you're overwhelmed and you're tired and you're, you, you understand that kind of out of control feeling, but I mean, what a tragedy, unbelievable. And so she was sentenced to five and a half years. Did she serve all of that time? No, she didn't. She served, I think it was about 18 months at the end of the day. She, she had been, she, she, when she participated in the fatality inquiry, she was already, you know, already out. Oh my God. And how do you feel about that sentencing? Like how, I mean, there's no, there's no justice. There's no bringing Mackenzie back, but I, I guess how, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I've had to, Dan and I both, we, we, we sort of had to compartmentalize, you know, like Shelby was saying earlier that you, you got to put some things in a box or else it would drive you crazy for the rest of your life. And yeah, yeah so we yeah. sort of decided early on, um, a, we trusted, you know, crown, we, we had an, an amazing there was an absolutely amazing prosecutor working on, on Mackenzie's case as there was amazing, you know, an amazing homicide detective and we trusted them. Um, and, and we sort of had to come to the conclusion that deciding her, her, you know, punishment, if you will, wasn't our job. Our, our job was to, to mourn Mackenzie. Our job is to honor Mackenzie and, and to do whatever we can you know, to, to do that, to honor her, to hopefully make her proud. And, um, we just had to let everything else be because it wasn't in our, it's not in our control. And like you said, she could spend 25 years in jail and Mackenzie still isn't here. So, you know, my, my, my world is that Mackenzie's not here. That's what I focus on. Absolutely. And was there any other part of her sentencing? Like, is she allowed to like does she have her kids is she allowed to operate a day home or you know like is there any sort of like longer term restrictions so so I mean she she did not have her her own son during you know during the after she had been charged and and, you know waiting for trial and stuff because that was years right I mean that's years that's not just a couple of days um so to be honest with you I don't know right now um and I don't know that I, that I should know, but, um, obviously they take, they take the safety of her son very, very seriously. Um, mm-hmm. and I mean, getting into maybe this is, a, you know, getting into some of the Mackenzie's legacy stuff and, and trying to, to fight for safer day homes. Honestly, there's nothing that would preclude her from opening a day home because there's no, there's nothing to preclude anyone from opening a day oh, home. Oh God. Like she could, she could literally turn around and open a day home. And I mean, she, she shared at the public, at the fatality inquiry that she never would, um, you know, and I believe her, but there's no, isn't that crazy? There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that would prevent her from doing that. That's terrifying. So yeah, let's get into the Mackenzie's legacy part of it and, and introduce Shelby. Um, so yeah, cause there was a documentary made, and that's how that's and so and so Shelby and Jen that's sort of how you guys met as a result of it yeah so there I was just going to say that the the judge released a report out of the fatality inquiry of of how to make day homes and daycare safer in the province he released you know 10 specific recommendations 
<clears throat> excuse me, and then there was a documentary around that, you know, what what were the recommendations, you know, what is the state of, of daycare in the province of Alberta, how crazy some of the stats are. Um, and, and so that's the documentary that you that you mentioned. And I'll let Shelby okay. take it from here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, for me, when Mackenzie died, I had actually just given birth to my first son a couple days after he was born May 6. And I remember at the time, you know, reading about it and obviously being horrified as a very new parent and as a police officer, yeah. and as a human, anything like that is horrifying. And I kind of followed it throughout trial and the inquiry. And I watched Kathy Lee did a really excellent documentary that uh, featured Mackenzie's story, along with a couple other families who had lost their children at unlicensed stay homes as well. And it was something that once I began kind of digging into, okay, we had this inquiry with this really great report and some changes, I wanted to start learning what had been done. And as I started vigorously searching the Google, um, I learned that there really had been nothing. And to me, it made me sick. Um, and I reached out to Kathy Lee from CTV who graciously connected me with Jen. And I remember the first time meeting Jen, I was quite intimidated and nervous to meet her. I don't know if I've ever even told her that, but you know, this was someone who had been through literally, I think the worst thing a human can live through the unimaginable. And yeah, absolutely. You know, I was essentially cold texting or being like, hi, I'm a total stranger, but I'd love to sit down yeah. and talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that you've got the police, the police background, like we talked about, right. That you can kind of bring knowledge in and experience, I guess, to what maybe Jen has experienced. Absolutely. And, you know, I've lived through personal traumas of my own that I felt Jen would connect over. And I think we did, you know, she was good in the first conversation. We were kind of having that small talk and she basically looked at me and kind of said, okay, are we going to talk now? And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, she really poked the bear on that one, but it did. It gave us a chance to really be open. And I think, you know, for Jen, knowing that I had my own drama box and my policing experience, we were able to really talk freely about a lot of things that are quite hard to talk to other people about. Parents who have lived through these experiences, there isn't a Hallmark card that says, sorry, your kid died at day home. Sorry, this happened. Like, it's really a unique situation. Yeah, and, yeah absolutely. You know, the more I learned about it through Jen, I just said, uh, like, to me, it wasn't enough. There had to be more we could do at this point. What? is Mackenzie's legacy? What do you guys hope to do and what are you doing? It's an opportunity for us. You know, we had been working with the government trying to have those conversations of what changes can we make and share some of our ideas. And we were feeling that we needed to make this an official platform because I think kids are still being injured. Kids are still dying in situations like this. And I think the key component, mm -hmm. we need change and change can't come fast enough. I think the yeah. fact lost one child is one child way too many. Yeah, I guess what are some of the changes that you hope to see or that you're pushing for that would make this a situation that won't happen again? I think a big component of this is we don't actually know how many kids are in the unregulated system because the biggest part of that is it is unregulated. We don't know how many day homes are even in this province. And the fact that because they're essentially just babysitters, right? Like it in the same in the term in the sense that they're not regulated they're just yeah. somebody looking after your kids yeah essentially it's a more formal agreement right it's babysitters but it's a business I think one of the favorite analogies Jenna said to me is 
you need a license to a state, but you don't need a license to run a day home. I think when you sit back and think about that, you know, as parents, we do our research, like Jen said, like you get your references, you do your background checks, and you try and trust someone to care for your children. But at the end of the day, you know, like Jen said, Mackenzie's provider could open another day home. And I think right, what yeah. we establish is some minimum safety standards, you know, like first aid, background checks, just some very baseline things to say, let's start working to prevent these tragedies from happening. It blows my mind that you can have an unlicensed day home that doesn't have certain standards that are required by law. I mean, for myself to go into my kid's school to volunteer, I need to have a background check. I need to have a police check. Uh, these are children. I mean, they, there needs to be some some standards yeah. when it comes to your children. And especially as we said earlier, sorry, these are very, very, very young children who don't have the ability yeah. to say, mom, something's not right here. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. even in school, you not to say it's easy, but the, the kids are of an age that they can speak up if something isn't mm-hmm. right. But, you know, a 12 month old baby can't. I, I don't know if cost was a factor in making your decision, but I worry that for a lot of families, because cost is an issue, it might be you might end up going somewhere that isn't registered because they do charge less, because they don't have any standard, like, you know, sort of um, standards to uphold. And that could become a more dangerous situation. Yeah. And and I mean, to be perfectly, we're, we were lucky that cost wasn't a consideration in our, in our decision-making. It really was mm-hmm. that A, she was so young, B, we hadn't lived in Calgary for the, you know, obligatory 16 month wait list period. Um, yeah. So we couldn't get into to a daycare. Um, and yeah. then, you know, when you, we, we talk a lot about license versus unlicensed, but really we, you know, what Shelby and I talk about often is it's really daycares and day homes, right? Those are, and, right. and there are some licensed day homes, but what we've heard mm-hmm. from a lot of day home providers in the unregulated space is, is the, the hoops they have to jump through. It's really just trying to, you know, put the the square peg into the round hole, they don't work for day homes. They're written for day cares and then just sort of like tried to be adjusted to make it fit to a day home. And so if you're a day home provider, you know, charging, it's, you know, spending this extra money that in turn you have to charge back to your parents, to to your day home parents for for really nothing in return, right? Like not a lot of value. That's where you know, that's where it breaks down. And, and the reality is the majority of kids in the province of Alberta are in unregulated or unlicensed care. There is only stats are all over the place, but there is only 20 to 30% of spaces available as regulated spaces in this province. So like Shelby said, because we don't know how many day homes, we can't say specifically, you know, X, X percent of, of kids are in, are in, you know, unlicensed day homes, but we know that it's the yeah. majority of them. So, right. Like, well, and to your point, what's the benefit of becoming a licensed day home when it's, it's just, just a bunch be, of yeah. hoops and red tape? Exactly. Yeah. Which then makes you more expensive, which then makes you less affordable to families that need the care yeah and it's a downward 
cycle, right? From there. So, yeah. and, and, you know, to be very clear, we, one of the things we're very, very um, clear on it, it, with Mackenzie's legacy, and, and maybe there's two things, but the first is not all unlicensed day home providers are monsters. And, right. yeah, absolutely. and Mackenzie's day home provider wasn't a monster. No. And we like yeah. to pretend or, or tell ourselves that, that they are because that's how we tell ourselves it could never happen to us, right? Because the contemplating yeah. that it could ever happen to us is, is way too terrifying. So you villainize mm-hmm. them, right? And and so one of the things yeah. we've been yeah. very, very um you know, explicit about is she's not a monster. And that's from Mackenzie's parents. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, think about that yeah. for a second. It yeah. can happen to anyone. Um, but the flip side to that is as Shelby well knows from from her policing and 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 her own, you know, her own experiences through that, there are monsters out there that shouldn't be allowed to take care of kids. Yeah. And yes. today they are yes. allowed to. So how yeah. do we get the good so providers support because in in Mackenzie's instance and you know Justice Hawks did a great job in the report calling this out she needed support and she recognized that she needed support but as an unlicensed day home provider she had no access to support and if she had does our world look different and what would that support have looked like I think it's, I think first thing is just to recognize how hard taking care of small children, how, how hard of a job that is, right? I mean, as parents, we know yeah. that with our own kids, we were talking about how, you know, at the top of, of this, how, how busy they are and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just recognizing how hard of a job it is and, and how isolating it can be to be in a home environment all day with no other adults and, and just tiny humans yeah. around. Right. Um, and yeah. I think that's one thing she, she talked about at the fatality inquiries. She didn't recognize how isolated she was feeling. She was becoming overwhelmed. You know, she, she realized in hindsight, she probably took in, you know, more kids than she should have because financial, she had a couple of kids that she, she was looking after part-time but that was her own yeah. financial, you know, well-being, and 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 yeah. ha- she couldn't tell the parents that she was struggling because who's going to leave their child in the care of somebody who's told them they were struggling? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Right. Wow, was she was was she married or was she living with somebody? Um, her the. Her, her son's dad was, was, they weren't together. Uh, sorry, they were together, but not living together, I should say. Um, oh, so, okay. and, and we knew him as well. He, uh, he, yeah, he painted yeah. her basement. <laughs> oh, like, wow. Wow. Yeah. These were not just strangers. Like yeah. we, we didn't just, you know, fly up in front of the house on a random day and open the, the door and, you know, drop Mackenzie out on the, on the, the yard and fly off yeah 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 and and I mean the you know the daycare provider had a you know obviously extensive test psychological psychiatric test through the whole you know criminal proceedings Mm and you know Justice Hawks actually called that out as well in the report that the risk assessment that they did on her came back extremely low you know this wasn't this wasn't a monster again just just to reiterate so 
how do we how do we make sure that that the people who are out there that we're relying on to take care of our kids, um, you know, there's all this debate. Every, I, I get very frustrated sometimes because every time we start talking about this, somebody just says, well, unlicensed just shouldn't exist. And, and that's right. just the, oh, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's the easy solution. Oh, okay. <laughs> let's, let's just make it not be and everybody's happy. Yeah. But, but, yeah. and, and, and don't get me wrong, that's an extremely important debate to be having, um, to, especially in light of, you know, some of the federal child care um, aspirations. But mm. right now, today, in the province of Alberta, it exists. And not only does yeah, it exist, yeah. the majority of our kids are in it. So talking yeah. about whether it should or shouldn't exist down the road does absolutely nothing to make sure no other family wakes up tomorrow and gets that phone call that we got. Well, and I think the risk is that if you make it illegal, it's still going to happen. Yeah. You're just going to further push it into the shadows. Exactly. Absolutely. It's not like this is specific to unlicensed day homes. Yeah. Yeah. So where is the best place people can go to get information? And if people want to support Mackenzie's legacy, how do people get involved? I think our Instagram page is one of our biggest things that we update constantly, and that's just at Mackenzie's Legacy. We also have a website, uh, com. On both of those forums, we've put, you know, on the website a page where people can send us their stories or send us their ideas. And same for Instagram. Our biggest thing is we want to hear from parents. We want to hear from providers. And we are asking politicians to get involved because to us, the fact that children's safety is up in the air right now isn't okay. And it shouldn't be a political issue. It should just be a baseline no matter what party you're in. Think for people trying to track us down those are the two best ways and we will take all the support we can get and if you don't agree with us that's okay too we want to hear those perspectives so we can create a system that ultimately works for everyone well i'll make sure in the show notes to list your instagram and website so that people can get involved get informed and you know i'd be curious if anybody listening from other countries or provinces sort of can like share their experience of things that work or don't work where they're from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be great to hear. Like like Shelby yeah. said, we want to hear it all because the only way we'll build a, a system that works for everyone is if we hear from everyone. And and the other thing, yeah. you know, I would just ask of of anybody who's who's reading Mackenzie's story or any others like it is 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 don't jump to the the you know false comfort of it couldn't happen to me. Really put yourself in that shoes yeah. because I think the more we're informed of what the what the actual state of of the daycare um, you know sector is in Alberta, and couple that with this really could happen to anyone, um, I think that's what's that's going to create incentive to change. Well, Jen and Shelby, we are so thankful that we were able to connect with you. I wish we didn't have Mackenzie's story to share, but I'm. So thankful that you were comfortable sharing it on this platform. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, for hearing about my girl. I will take, I always say, I will take any opportunity to brag about her that I ever can get. Yeah. Um, and, Absolutely. And for, for helping us, you know, get this this message out about, about just wanting, wanting to make sure no other family ever, ever has to experience anything like this. No, thank you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. I think Jen and I have said the more voices we have behind us, the stronger it's going to be. And we are so glad you guys gave us 
uh, this platform to share. Awesome. All right, guys, we'll have a really good day and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thank awesome. You Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, Carla. Oh, snap. <laughs> Michelle. Um, Jen and Shelby, thank you so much for being so candid and open Mm -hmm. and what an important story to share, but what a hard story to share. Yeah. That was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. And yeah, it's always so, it's so nice though, when something good can come from a tragedy. Absolutely. And you know, it doesn't. It doesn't make it better, mm-hmm. but hopefully it changes things for, you know, kids in the future that might be in danger. Yeah, just, I mean, the loss of a child is so uncomprehensible. I unfortunately have friends who have lost yeah. children, and um, it's just beyond painful. And, yeah. But to be able to turn such a tragedy into something that can help other parents is so incredible and they're, yeah. they're doing such an amazing job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we will link all of the information for Mackenzie's legacy in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but let us know what you thought of the episode. We love all the reviews that we're getting on iTunes and Apple. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't already follow us on social media, we can be found Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. At I did not sign up for this. Yeah. And um, on Patreon. Yeah. So we just released last week my coming out story because it's mm-hmm. June. It's Pride Month. Yeah. And so we so for a five dollar subscription per month, you get access to over thirty three bonus episodes instantly. Yes, that's so amazing. Also, it's not just your coming out story. It's like your. I don't know, just like yeah, realizing of, who you truly mm-hmm. are, which is just so incredible and so important. And my journey to self discovery, your journey to self discovery, <laughs> and it was such a good episode. And of course, we made it funny because that's yeah. what we do. Did and you see the pictures I put in the I Patreon? I did. Yeah. I did not recognize like, that girl. Who's that? Who that? Who's that girl? <laughs> it's straight closeted, Carly. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. We can't believe that we just get to do this and that people listen i know we love it so much and and also maybe let's do a little a little shout out that if you are listening to our episodes and you say hey i have a story Mm -hmm. that i want to share slide into our dms we have people that are sliding into our dms all the time yeah saying that they have a story that they want to share with us and we i mean we love to talk to anybody and everybody and no story is you know unimportant yeah i think some people often worry that like oh i don't know my story's not that crazy yeah but if you didn't sign up for it and it impacted your life Mm -hmm. somebody will be able to relate to it absolutely how dare you what did we say in in our tagline no topic is off limits yeah that's true that was a long time ago there you go and also we can't give too much detail away but we got well oftentimes uh like instagram accounts get reached out by these like scammy fake yeah affiliate programs yeah um like we've been had people from like bathing suit companies reach out and i'm like my favorite was the man trimming one yeah i'm like guys have you looked at our page this does not fit we do not have the equipment for this but they're kind of like bots like they're not real accounts anyway we got somebody reached out to us from seemingly a legit account and they're sending us some samples of some things 
And what I loved was that they actually took the time to look at our page to mm-hmm. really see who we are and what yeah. our message is. And that is, I think, really important. Yeah. So we might have some exciting news in the coming episodes. Yeah. So keep an eye on that. Lately, I've been saying put it in, put, put that in your pipe and smoke it. I don't like that. I know. I don't know what like it's like part like it's a very aggressive. <laughs> yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Anywho, please don't smoke pipes. I'm no, sure do it can't be good for you. No. Mm-mm. Um. All right. Well, I hope that everybody has a good week. I hope everybody survived and thrived on Father's Day, whatever that looks like. <laughs> and. I don't know. Just have a great week. We're heading into summer. Oh, today's the first day of summer. Sunday. It is. The 20th. Happy yeah. Happy summer. So happy summer. And we've got some super exciting episodes still Absolutely. to come. Absolutely. So we will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye.